Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I'll go with Him. With Him. All the way. Many of us recognize those words from the very familiar hymn, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. And I think when we sing that song, or others like it, about leading, God leading us and us following God, I think quite often in our mind we have an image of the quiet waters of Psalm 23 that we hope God is leading us toward. Right? He leads me beside still waters. Because, you know, co-workers are getting on my nerves, the bills are piling up, my neighbors, ooh, not being so neighborly. The kids are driving me crazy. I'm being pulled in every direction. I've got time commitments here, there, and everywhere else in between. God, I would like it if you would lead me somewhere. I know you're not Calgon, but would you take me away, please? The good news, friends, that God quite often does lead us away. And in those quiet moments, we can know and be assured that He is God. God leads us. Sometimes God carries us through dark, scary places of life. We need that thought. And I think we love that thought. And that's why that Footprints poem is so popular, right? That one set of footprints is when I carried you. I mean, the first time I read that poem, I didn't see that coming. I was just like, oh, that is deep. That is so cool. But now that I've been in faith for quite a while, now that I've learned things about God and myself, I like the uh, additional part of that poem that nobody really talks about. When you see just one set of footprints, that was when I carried you. And when you see that long groove, that is when I dragged you kicking and screaming. (laughs) I think we realize the truth about that statement when we realize that sometimes on the way to the still waters, there's one or two valleys we have to go through first. Sometimes even a valley of the shadow of death. And that even though we're making our way to the promised land, we've got to get through the desert first. Interestingly enough, that is exactly where Jesus began his ministry. Now, I want you to think that, you know, there's this job you've been holding off for, right? Or this reward that you know has been coming. And you finally get it. How do you feel? What do you do? Well, you call everybody, hey, come to my house. We're going to party. We're going to lift up a toast. We're going to celebrate, right? You just won the championship. What are you going to do? I'm going to Disney World, right? Jesus gets the call of a lifetime. He's baptized in the river. And there's this voice from heaven telling him and everybody else exactly who he is what he is to do. And Jesus doesn't celebrate. 
Jesus doesn't call a party together. He doesn't get his friends together. Now, Jesus goes to the desert. Now, the important part about Jesus' baptism in the desert is, is understanding this. That Jesus wasn't trying to be the, the holy one or wasn't trying to be more holier than now. An important part of that story, Luke tells us, is that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. So we have to realize that God wanted Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness. And I think it would do us well to ask ourselves, why would God want that? We ask ourselves and we think about that, we realize that first, this is not a new thing. We remember, recall the people of God, their flight from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they celebrated, and they were on their way to the promised land. But what do they have to get through to be there? The desert. Forty years. They had to go through there so that they could learn something important. And in Jesus' 40-day wilderness stay, I think it should flash us back to that wandering in Exodus. In fact, it might do us well to go back and read Exodus 16 through 19 again so that we can see the people of God and the lessons they learned in the desert that I think God wanted them to learn in the desert because it was there that they learned something very important. That our lives are dependent upon God. Now, the people in the desert learned that as they thirst for water, as they were hungry for anything to eat, what they found out and what we can see is that they were dependent on God. And each response that Jesus gave to every temptation demonstrates the same thing. The devil gave Jesus the opportunity to demonstrate his own sense of worth and self-sufficiency. After all, Jesus, Luke says, was about 30 years old. We say he might have been in his prime. He could have taken over the world. He was up and coming. He could have done anything he wanted. But each time, Jesus told the devil... I think even Jesus was reassuring and telling himself, and certainly since we have the words of this story, I think Jesus is showing and telling us that in God we live and move and have our being. But we realize, though, unfortunately, that that is a difficult lesson for us to learn. Don't get me wrong, in my experience with church, I, I know... We can talk a really good game. We can talk about God being first, and of course we depend on God. Of course God is first, but quite often our actions, even some of the things we say, don't demonstrate that. You ever been a part of a church garage sale? Need I say more? I always appreciate author, speaker, and financial guru Dave Ramsey's response of people who would come into his office wanting to better their, their, improve their finances. He would 
they would give him their budget so he could look at it, evaluate. And they, one after one, family after family, he'd see, you know, there's housing needs and there's food and there's utilities and there's bills and there's cars and there's credit cards and there's taxes and there's this and there's that. And on the bottom there's our tithe and our giving to God. And he says that he would always give the budget back and say, your budget is upside down. That you have to begin with the first things. First things first, we like to say, right? Budgets are upside down, and we can understand what he is trying to say. I think we can understand the first fruits way of thinking that we read about in Deuteronomy. You see, God had called the people to live into the promised land, and he told them, once you finally get there, this is what I want you to do. You're going to get established. You're going to get settled. You're going to think this is a good place to live. You're going to think you've got things good. And you will have things good because that's what I promised you. So this is what I want you to do. When you get that first crop, oh, that first crop that you've been waiting for for so long. Oh, that promise that you know you couldn't have back in Egypt. When you get the first and the best of that crop, I want you to give it to me. We understand that that idea of first fruits, because it was quite literally their first fruits that they were to give to God, didn't just apply to finances. It applies to every area of our life. It applies to who we are as people every single day. And there's a part of first fruits thinking that says, well, we want to give God the best. And certainly that's a, a very a big part of that. We want to give God the best of who we are and what we have and what we want to do. But there's another part of the fruits that I think is even more important than that. See, I think God, after we've been through the wilderness, after we've learned those important lessons, I think God wants us to be able to say, God, here are my first fruits. It's the best I got. It's yours. And I'm going to trust you to give me everything else I need now that I've given you this. See, first fruits is not just about giving God the best, it's about trusting that God will give the rest as well. Because I know what it is to live on a budget, friends. I just got out of school not too long ago. And I know how tempting it is to say, yeah, God, but come on, work with me, brother. But first fruit says... God, I will give you my best and trust that you will give me the rest. It's a way of life. And I think that that is the way of life that Jesus had that helped him overcome his temptations in the desert. Realize that what the devil was offering was not just an easy way out. Oh, you know, we could cut through the chase, Jesus. You don't have to do that cross stuff. Well, we'll make you king. We'll make you powerful. We'll make you all those things that you know you already are that God said you will be. But we'll do it a different way. The devil was offering a little bit more than that. The devil was offering Jesus another way of life. A way of life that Jesus could have taken and said, okay, yeah, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. 
Now, you go make your own money. You go do your own thing. You go build your own life, your own way of doing things. That's the life that Jesus was tempted with. And I think that's a way of life that mirrors what you and I so often have to deal with. Because we know who we are. We know our accomplishments. We know what we're good at. We know what we've been good at. We know who we are. We know what we've done. We know what other people think about us. But that's a, that's a scary way to live. That's a life that trusts in our own abilities, accomplishments, and know-how. But when we evaluate our lives, and we realize that we are pretty sure of who we are and how good we are and all that jazz, and then we realize, oh yeah, um, uh, thanks God, because you gave it all to me. In that moment, we realize that our lives are upside down. When we get through all of everything we do, when we are so sure of everything we were able to accomplish, and then we say, oh yeah, thank you God, it's then that we realize our lives are upside down. Friends, that is the way it's easy for us to live. It's easy for us to go to work every day and be so sure that we made this money ourselves and to do this and to be so good at that. It's, it's so easy for us to live that way. But there is another way to live. I love how Luke describes Jesus' experience because he first says that Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And after Jesus was tempted, after Jesus has fasted for those 40 days, after he learned the lessons that God wanted him to have, Luke says something that I think is very powerful. That Jesus then returned, not just full of, of the Holy Spirit, but full of the power of the Spirit. Y'all with me? Oh, Luke, he's real good. He showed us something really good. You see, God wants to lead us to peace and purpose. God leads us to freedom, to serve and love God joyfully. And we can follow God to a more faithful life a life full of more patience? A life full of more wisdom? A life full of more direction and joy? Assurance and a life full of everything else that we need. But are we willing to go with God, with God, all the way? Really? Because the only way we can do that is if we're willing to go to the desert first. If we're willing to learn what God wants us to learn. That without God, we're nothing. We have to learn where in our lives we don't live a first fruits kind of life. Where aren't we giving God our best and trusting God for the rest? A first fruit life knows the order of things knows what's important, 
and knows that we depend on God and we trust God and anticipates the life that God has for us when we faithfully order the things in our life. So, considering the lessons Jesus learned in the wilderness, considering what the people of God have learned in the wilderness before, if you want to live a first fruits kind of life, then let us pray. Oh God, we thank you because in Jesus' own experience, we see that you give us the power and the ability to resist every temptation. So God, help us to live lives that are holy to you. To live lives that give to you our best and trust that you are willing and able to provide for us the rest. Forgive us, God, when we've trusted in our own devices, in our own well-being, in our own way of doing things, and give us the new life today that you promise is ours as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.